Well, it is good to be with you again this morning. Wonderful to see the snow on the ground this morning. How many of you were expecting that? I was not. Looked out and saw that wonderful powder on the ground again and rejoiced in God's faithfulness to bring what we need, even if it's not what we're asking for. Wanted to let you know that we have more uh, bookmarks on the table out there that will uh, tell you where we're going in our sermon series, the passages that we're covering. And so please, if you haven't done that, pick up one of these and so you'll know where we're going to be from week to week and you can pray accordingly and uh, read ahead accordingly. Speaking of reading, today we have a very large section of scripture to read. And because I am a really nice guy, I'm not going to have you stand for the entirety of what we're going to read, but I do, and I would ask for you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 6. We're going to read the opening of our passage this morning, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and we will read down uh, through verse 15 of Acts chapter 6, and then we are going to take a good portion of our morning to walk through the speech of Stephen as we uh, look at it together, and so isn't isn't your pastor such a nice guy? Acts chapter 6, looking at verse 8 through verse 15, and Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever experienced someone's sin against you? Have you ever been wronged? Has someone ever done you wrong? Maybe they lied about you. I can think growing up as... A brother, how many times I lied about my brother to make sure I didn't get in trouble. If you have siblings, you can relate to that. 
all the kids are saying, yeah, that's my life right now. Maybe you've been cheated out of what you were due. Maybe you were mistreated by an authority, by a supervisor. Maybe you were betrayed by a friend, stabbed in the back, not give, given what you deserved. How many of you have been wronged? And all of us, our hands should go up because we know what it is to be wronged, to be sinned against, to be mistreated. Well, the main character of our text this morning knows what it is to be wronged, knows what it is to be sinned against. Acts chapter 6, our text for this morning, comes at a very important time in the story, the unfolding story of the book of Acts. To this point, the new church, God's new people, And their activity has been centered on Jerusalem, and particularly the temple. God's new people, his church and her activities, her preaching, her ministry, her life is centered on the temple. And why wouldn't it be? This is where God's people are meant to gather. This is where God's people are meant to worship. This is where God's people are meant to dwell in the presence of God. And so it was the inclination of those first believers to go to the temple. This is where they were to meet and gather and rejoice and worship God. And yet in this temple there in Jerusalem, they are opposed. The religious leadership, the high priesthood, The priestly family, the guards of the temple, they oppose this new gathering, this new people of God. And this opposition has been a theme of Acts to this point. We've seen external opposition from the high priesthood against the apostles. We've also seen internal opposition from God's people themselves or from within this gathering. External opposition from the priesthood, internal hypocrisy, internal disunity. And it's been back and forth, external, internal, external. We saw last week the internal opposition of partiality and the destruction that that can work, the disunity that that can work upon the people of God could serve to undermine the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this week we turn again to see there is external, a renewed external opposition. And it is more severe than any opposition to this point. In this speech that we are going to walk through, we see a transition happening where all the activity of God's people has been centered on the temple, but as a result of this speech that Stephen gives, the temple 
as the center of God's people and their worship, the temple will be put in the rearview mirror. And God's people, as the book of Hebrews says, will get out of the temple and move forward worshiping God, not in a temple made by hands, but worship that is centered on a person, gathering around a person wherever they might be across the globe. This speech also serves as a transition in Acts from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. This speech will conclude the activity at Jerusalem by and large and move the witness of the gospel out. Not to be stopped, not to be hindered. Let's look here at the opening of our text. We see Stephen. Stephen was a man that we met last week, remember? Stephen was one of these men full of faith and of the Holy Spirit chosen to be a servant of tables. I think this is remarkable. I I think this is pretty cool, actually. The longest speech in the entire book of Acts does not come from the mouth of an apostle. It comes from a deacon. This shows us that if the gospel is to go out, it's not going to be in the mouth of the apostles. But now that gospel, that truth, must be in the mouths of the regular people. The people called to serve. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And Stephen is opposed by a group of Hellenists. Remember last week we were introduced to that concept of Hellenists. Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. They're from all over the Mediterranean world. It says here they're called the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, Cilicians, Asians, These rose up and disputed with Stephen. They had moved from all over the Mediterranean world to Jerusalem. And and you can imagine why. If you were a Jew living in another land, you would want to move where you could do what? Be with the temple. These Hellenists were more than likely devout Jewish people. They were... People who thought much of the temple, living in the shadow of the temple. And these rose up to dispute with Stephen and what Stephen said. The idea is that Stephen had an ongoing ministry here in these synagogues where these Hellenists gathered. Look what it says. It says that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In arguing with Stephen, 
and disputing Stephen. Much like those who came and opposed Jesus, they could not win the argument. They they could not win the day as they argued with Stephen. And so they had to turn to a devious plan. We cannot withstand his wisdom and spirit, so now let's lie about him as they lied about Jesus. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So the accusation is twofold. The accusation against Stephen is twofold. He has spoken blasphemous words against Moses or against the law, and he has blasphemed against God. And this accusation stirs up the scribes and the elders and the people, and they came upon Stephen and they seize him, they arrest him, and they drag him off to the council. We've seen this council already a couple of times. Peter and John stood before this council. The apostles stood before this council as a whole, and now Stephen stands before this same council. By the way, this same council that judged Jesus. This is an ongoing theme here. And Stephen is brought before the council, and they renew this accusation, and they give it more specificity. Look at what they say. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, talking about the temple. This man never ceases to speak words against the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So again, the accusation is twofold. Stephen blasphemes against Moses and his law. And Stephen speaks against God and his place of worship, this temple. The idea is we should have him killed for his blasphemy against Moses and against the temple. Look at this note then, verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Have you ever wondered what in the world does that mean? Stephen appears, something about his countenance, something about his presence. It is noticeable. It is obvious to all those in the council, this man stands before us as one who comes from the presence of God. Maybe it was that he had a shine of glory upon his face or that his countenance shone in some way similar maybe to Moses. When Moses came off of Mount Sinai receiving the law. But his face appeared to them as the face of of an angel. I want you to tuck that away into your memory banks here for a moment. Chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest says, 
to Stephen. Are these things so? You've heard the accusations. What do you have to say for yourself? And then Stephen embarks upon a speech that is well over a thousand words that I didn't have you stand up to read through. And yet, we're going to read through it. Read through it. We're going to read through it. And as we go, I'm going to make a few comments here and there. We will not cover all of the bases and every single uh, nook and cranny of this entire speech. We could do a couple or three different sermons from this one speech, but I think it's important that we keep it all together because I want you to see the point. I want you to see what's happening in this speech. But as we walk through, I want you to look for three particular themes. I want you to look for three themes as we walk through. First, I want you to pay attention. I want you to look and listen for how God reveals himself. The revelation of God. Second, I want you to look and listen for the one that God appoints or gives as a deliverer. So I want you to look for those parts where God reveals himself. I want you to look for those that are identified as God's chosen deliverers. And I want you, third of all, to identify, to look for, to be aware of God's presence. God's revelation, how God speaks. God's deliverance, how God delivers and through whom he delivers. And God's presence. Where does God reside? Where is he? So as we walk through, I want you to look for those three themes. Stephen said, in response to these accusations of opposing Moses and his law, opposing the temple and where God is worshipped. He begins in verse 2 of chapter 7. Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Iran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring, that is the offspring of Abraham, would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them 
and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after they come out, after that they will come out and worship me in this place. So God, notice how it refers to God there. The God of glory appears to Abraham. Where? In Mesopotamia. The God of glory, which would have been a title associated with the temple where God's glory resides. The God of glory, the God of the temple, appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. And there he spoke very clearly to Abraham, promising Abraham that he would give him a land. He took Abraham out of the land where he dwelt and put him in a new land, but did not yet give him that land, and yet promised Abraham that he would indeed give that land to his people, to the offspring coming out of Abraham. But before that, his people would sojourn in a foreign land for 400 years. And then God would do what? Deliver them and bring them out to that land where they would worship God. They will worship me in this place. God had a plan for the deliverance and the worship of his people. It goes on to say, the speech goes on, Stephen goes on to say, and he gave him, he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. What this means is that Abraham's people would then be identified by this mark of circumcision by a physical circumcision. This identifies who God's people are. They are the offspring of Abraham, the people of the circumcision, the the inheritors of the covenant of promise, the ones who will be delivered and will go and worship God in this place. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Now notice what happens in verse 9. And the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? They are the people of the promise. They are the people of Abraham, the patriarchs, the children coming from Abraham. The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt But God was with Joseph and rescued Joseph out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who then turned and made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. How many of you love the story of Joseph? Isn't it a wonderful story? Everybody loves the story of Joseph. Yes, you're raising your hand. Good. Yeah, it's a good name. The story of Joseph. Well, here, Stephen 
recaps the story of Joseph for his hearers. And notice what he says. He says that Joseph, Joseph was persecuted by the patriarchs, by Israel. But God was with him and rescued Joseph and gave him favor and wisdom, favor and wisdom, and made him ruler over Egypt. And what happened as a result of Joseph's rejection? What happened as a result of the rejection of Joseph? Well, he goes on, he says, there was a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, a great affliction, and our fathers, that is Israel, could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit, and on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. This is Israel. So, Because of Israel's rejection of Joseph, Joseph is sent down to Egypt. Joseph is preserved by God. He is rescued by God out of his afflictions. And through that rescue, Joseph then serves as the deliverer for God's people. God's people persecute Joseph. And through that persecution God delivers him and works to deliver the very people that had worked harm against Joseph he delivers him delivers Israel and Jacob went down into Egypt and he died he and our fathers Stephen says And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. Shechem is located in Samaria in the promised land. Verse 17. So now now we have God's people in Egypt. And you remember the promise. God promised that they would be in that place for 400 years and then he would deliver them and take them out and put them in a place to worship him. But as the time of the promise, verse 17, as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the promise of deliverance and worship, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. God's people need a deliverer, and at this time, a deliverer was given. He was beautiful in God's sight. Doesn't mean he was good looking. What it means is that he was favored by God. He was the chosen one of God. He was favored in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, when he was to be put to death, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. He is delivered out of the waters. We remember the story. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. 
And look at what it says. Moses was instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. Much like Joseph received wisdom and favor, Moses receives wisdom and is known for his might in word and deed. Verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now, now notice this. this. This note here in Acts chapter 7 is helpful even for our understanding of the story in Exodus. What was Moses seeking to accomplish by striking down that Egyptian? Look at what it says. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Moses was trying to deliver his people, God's people, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So again, here we have Moses born at the right time. He is the one who has God's favor upon him, the one who is given to deliver Israel from their captivity. He goes up to deliver And he is rejected as the deliverer, and he flees. Verse 30. See, we're not taking too long. It's going okay. It's going fast enough. It's a long speech, okay, people? Give me a break. Now, when 40 years had passed, verse 30, when 40 years had passed, an angel... There you have that concept again of angel. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai... In a flame of fire in a bush, God is revealing himself in an angel in the flame of fire in the bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then look at what the Lord says. The Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, they're they're not in Israel, are they? They're in Mount Sinai. Where Where did God, the God of glory, appear to Abraham? In Mesopotamia. Where was God with Joseph? In Egypt. Where does God say now Moses is standing on holy ground? In the middle of the desert. 
the side of a mountain. He says, you're standing on holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people, God says, who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. And now come. I will send you to Egypt. Now, at this point in the speech, Stephen has been building, has been building, and he is about to drop the hammer. Here in verse 35, he, he's going to use a literary technique of, of repetition, specification, where now you will have no doubt of his point. Verse 35. This Moses, he says, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man had led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This Moses, this Moses, this Moses, this is the one who was in the congregation, the gathering, the assembly, in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He, this Moses, received living oracles to give to us. This Moses. Whom they rejected this Moses who proved himself both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him, led them out of captivity, performing wonders and signs, and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, this Moses who also said, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. This Moses who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. This Moses received living oracles to give to us. What was one of the accusations made against Stephen? That he was against the Moses of the Old Testament, Moses and his law. Stephen makes clear who this Moses is. And then look at what he says. He received living oracles to give to us. Look at what he says right after that. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. What have the fathers done? What have the fathers of Israel done? They have rejected Moses. This Moses they have rejected and rebelled and refused to obey him. This Moses who spoke and received the living oracles 
to give to us. Our fathers, he says, have refused to obey him. And now he transitions from his focus on Moses and the law to addressing the second accusation, that of worship in the temple. Look at what he says. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days. While Moses is on the mountain talking with God, they're at the bottom of the mountain making a calf. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing, this is key, were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. He makes the point that from the very beginning, they have refused to give God the sacrifices that he is due. They have refused the worship that they were called to, that they were delivered to give God. They have refused it from the very beginning. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Now this is, this is really important here because he says that they had the tent of witness that Moses built according to the pattern that he had seen. There's, there's a pattern. He says Moses saw a pattern that they built the tabernacle based on. In other words, the tabernacle is not the main thing. There's another pattern out there that sets the pattern for the tabernacle. Our fathers in turn brought this tabernacle in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet, look at this, don't miss this. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. He was pointing out to them what Isaiah 66 so rightly says, heaven, God says, is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all things? Notice what it says, the play 
on this concept of hand. His hand has made all things. Do you think for a moment that you with your hands can make a place fit for the God who resides in heaven, who uses the earth as a footstool, puts his foot upon the earth? Do you think that you could make with your hands something that could contain the God who with his hand made all things? No. The work of your hands, and here's what Stephen is saying. The work of your hands, this building, this temple, the work of your hands and your idolatry of it is the same as the idolatry in the wilderness where people crafted a calf and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. They were committing idolatry at the foot of the mountain. While Moses talked to God on the mountain, they committed idolatry. And he says, our people continue to commit idolatry with this temple. The physical temple, the physical sacrifices have never been the point. The point has always been the right worship of Yahweh. Verse 51. Here is Stephen's convicting statement based on everything he says. Verse 51. You Stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Remember, Abraham had received the covenant of circumcision. Now he says, you who are proud of your father, Abraham, you are uncircumcised in heart and ears. You are not his offspring. You are not his people. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, and here he changes from saying our fathers to your fathers, our fathers, our fathers, but now he says your fathers did, so do you. Here, Stephen draws a line. And to this point, he's been identifying himself with Israel, our fathers, our history. But now he says, no, this is your history. I'm no longer part of you. Your fathers. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand, those who carried God's voice. They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of Jesus. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered You who received the law as delivered by angels. Again, this is the idea, the Jewish idea that the angels 
were the ones who delivered the law to Moses. He says, you have received the law, but you betrayed and murdered the righteous one. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. So here it is. Listen, here it is. Here's what Stephen's saying. You accuse me of opposing Moses and God's true worship in the temple. You accuse me, but I have not opposed Moses. I have not opposed the worship of God. You have. You have opposed Moses. You have opposed God's true worship. If you truly loved Moses, if you were truly the people of Abraham, if you truly understood the worship that God requires and wants from you, you would have received Jesus, who was the favored one of God who came to you in mighty signs and wonders and wisdom, who was put forth for you as the deliverer, you would have received him. But instead, you killed him. Now, take a, take a breath. We just went through a very long portion of scripture. What is the response of the people? Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they, I love this picture. They ground their teeth at him. They ground their teeth at him. You, you want to know what the face of conviction looks like? They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Get this. And what did he see as he looked up into heaven? He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Who is standing in the presence of God? It's Jesus. Where is the center of his worship happening? It's happening in the throne room of God with Jesus standing there at the right hand of God. And he said, Stephen says, behold, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God the God of glory first delivered or appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. The God of glory stood with Moses on the side of a mountain and revealed his glory there. And now Stephen stands and looks up and sees the glory of God in Jesus, the risen Son, standing in the heavens. And at this, it says, they cried out with a loud voice. 
Have you ever noticed that before? It was at this point that they couldn't take it anymore. It's at this point. They, they were already enraged. They were grinding their teeth at him. But it was at this point when he says, I see heavens opened and I see Jesus standing in the glory of God. That, that vision that he gives to them is what put them over the edge. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Can you see this? Can you see this response, this reaction? They grind their teeth and then they, they cry out with a loud voice and they stop their ears and they rush together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen... He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What does he say? Receive my spirit into your presence. This death that's coming upon me is just serving as my deliverance into your presence. Receive my spirit now where you are, where I want to be. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen bears in his body the death of the Lord Jesus. And he, in his death, lives as Jesus did in his hour of betrayal and crucifixion. Stephen also lives this Christ life in the moment of his death. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A couple of applications for us. As we consider, and there is much we could say, there is, there is way too much that we could say. I want you to notice a pattern here in this text, a pattern of rebellion. The pattern of man's rebellion against God. And I want you to see this pattern of rebellion for, for our own admonition. If what was delivered to Israel, that is the law of Moses, the commandments and ordinances through Moses, if what was delivered to Israel came with much accountability, if what was delivered to Israel came with a demand for appropriate response, How much more what we have received in Jesus. As Hebrews says, God has spoken by his prophets many times, many places to the fathers, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. If what has been received by Israel came with such a condemnation for their rebellion, how much more what we have received in Jesus 
we must diligently seek to avoid two things that we see here patterned in Israel. First, we must seek, diligently seek, diligently seek, diligently seek to avoid the same hardness of heart and unwillingness to hear and believe God's word. Did you know that you and I, we are prone to hardness of heart and rebellion. We are prone to unwillingness to listen, unwillingness to hear and to believe God's word. Our sin, the sin that we struggle with, the sin that we deal with daily in our lives, these sins all come from a root of unbelief, a root of hardness and deceitfulness of sin. We must fight to kill that hardness of heart, protect ourselves from the deceitfulness of sin and the unbelief that is so ready to capture our hearts. Even some of us, even this morning, are in its grips. We must fight to avoid, diligently avoid. This is why God's people are so important. By the way, this is why going to discipling group is so important. This is why attending the gathering is so important. This is why making your life open and transparent and vulnerable to other people is so important. I'm I'm not amazed, but... I'm sad by the fact that so many of us hide who we are to other people before other people when, when here's the thing, all of us are the same. We all have hardness of heart. We are all unwilling to hear. We're all slow to believe. We all know who we are. Let us be open and honest and transparent and vulnerable to fight this hardness of heart and unwillingness to hear what God has clearly revealed We also must diligently, second of all, we must diligently seek to avoid that same idolatry of worship. Here's what I said a moment ago. Pagan idolatry and religious idolatry are both idolatry. It's so easy for us to fall in to worshiping our worship instead of worshiping the God of our worship. Methods and means and structures, even some doctrines become so important to us. We idolize them. We make idols out of them. The work of our hands. We are so prone to idolatry, not worshiping God as God, not giving him the worship that he is due, that he is owed. Oh, let us pray protection against this. Let us pray that we never become lifted up with pride at our worship. I also want you to see very quickly a pattern of rejection that we see present in this speech, a pattern of rejection. We see a pattern of rebellion. For our admonition, we see a pattern of rejection 
God's faithful witnesses are rejected. Joseph was rejected by his brethren. Moses was rejected by his brethren. And this pattern moves forward to Jesus. Jesus, the most faithful witness, the most obvious witness of Almighty God, Jesus was rejected by his brethren, the very ones he came to save. He was rejected by them. And Stephen, Stephen, Stephen is often called the first martyr of the church, and so he is. And yet, in that, we miss something very important. Stephen just falls in line with a whole history of faithful witnesses who've been rejected for their witness. And this is what Jesus' followers should expect. If we expect anything different than this, we need to reacquaint ourselves with the history of God's people. Stephen dies for his witness, his faithful witness to the truth. Stephen dies, but oh, what a death. What a death. Can you imagine dying while you're seeing God in the heavens? Jesus standing at his right hand. Can you imagine that? What a death. I was meeting Thursday. We were meeting with a couple of guys talking about the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what? It's a little depressing. Everybody dies. We were talking and and meditating on this reality that all of us die. All of us die. We will all die. What if we lived as if we were already dead? What if we lived as if we were already dead to this world, but alive to God? This is how Stephen lived. And this is how the Apostle Paul lived. This is why we read those passages from 2 Corinthians. He lived carrying in his body the death of the Lord Jesus. He said, this is our task as, as ministers of the new covenant, which we are ministers of the new covenant. This is our task. We are to carry in our body the death of the Lord Jesus. We are to die. And in that death, it brings life to those who hear. It brings life to those who see. Sometimes I, I'm afraid that God's people are afraid of death. Death is reality. Death is a non-negotiable. But what if we lived as if we were already dead and yet alive? To God. Our death for the life of others. Stephen died like Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Literally, looking unto Jesus. Stephen was wronged, grievously wronged, but I said at the very beginning. The main character of our story 
understands what it is to be wronged. And if you thought I was talking about Stephen, that was on purpose. Did you know the main character of our story is not Stephen? The main character of our story is God. For all of time, God has been sinned against. No one has been lied about more than he has. No one has been stolen from more than he has. No one has been betrayed more than he has. No one has been doubted. No one has been stabbed in the back. No one has been abused more than he has. When we talk about suffering, did you realize that no one has suffered as a result of sin more than God has? God has suffered far more than anyone can imagine. He is the creator of all. And throughout all of history, man has rejected him, rebelled against him, sinned against him over and over and over and over again. But God, in his mercy and grace, has not brought upon us our just condemnation. He has sent a deliverer who experiences the same rejection and through that rejection, through his death and through his resurrection, he delivers his people. Friend, you have been wronged and sinned against, but no one has been sinned against more than our Savior. No matter what someone has done to you, can I submit to you that what you have done to God and what you have committed against God far outweighs what anyone has ever done to you. If we place the scales next to each other and we weigh all that people have done against us, let me tell you, what you have done against God, what we have done against God far outweighs what anyone has ever committed against you. Look to Jesus. Stop looking at the hurt that someone has waged against you. Stop looking at the difficulties that someone has brought upon you in your life. Look to Jesus and see what he has done. Jesus, who suffered for our sake and who asks us now to suffer for his name's sake. As we testify to who he is, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, this glorious passage, this long passage, but what an important passage for us. We see man's rebellion lived out for us throughout history. We see your provision of a deliverer over and over again. We see your desire to be worshipped as you should. And we see a pattern of suffering. 
for those who would put on your life. I pray that all of us here who profess faith in Jesus would look, give us that faith, those eyes to see and to look upon him who died for us, has taken all the wrongs worked against him. He has died for them and rose again to defeat that sin and to have victory once and for all over death. Pray that we would find our life in him and be willing to lay our lives down for the sake of his name, wherever our context may be, in our home and at work and in the marketplace. I pray for your glory to shine through our lives as we take the message to people who need to hear it. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your provision in this, we pray. Amen.